We know who you are. We know who you are. No more masks. That we should be able to make our own medical decisions, and that's what we're all about. Parents need to be able to choose. People need the choice. A vaccine passport is going to ruin our entire society. You know, I think some of the stuff with, with the vaccine passports, I mean, it's an overreach, to be, it's too intrusive. And at the end of the day, my philosophy is, as governor, my job is to protect your individual freedom. My job is not to protect corporate freedom. I think they see themselves very much almost as freedom fighters. They see themselves as asserting their rights and pushing it back against uh, uh, an infringement on those rights. Why does the topic of mandates, requirements to wear masks, keep our distance, or get vaccinated elicit such strong reactions? The evidence is now strikingly clear that, for almost everyone, the benefits of vaccination outweigh any risks, and the evidence for other behaviors, such as masking and social distancing, is pretty good as well. And yet, even people who agree with the evidence about each of these interventions might not agree with the policy of mandating them. And why do conservatives and liberals find themselves so far apart on these mandates? Today, we are going to try to figure it out. Welcome to I Wrote This Podcast, the show in which we noodle our way through timely and interesting issues. I'm your host, Bob Neese. Thanks for joining in. When it comes to COVID-19 mandates, why is the country so starkly split? And why does this split seem to fall to the left and right politically? Is one of the reasons we can't agree that we're not aware of what we're really arguing about. Here's my hypothesis. When we argue about mandates, we're really arguing about something. Three things, really, more fundamental. These three things are like nerve endings, simultaneously firing when we talk about COVID-19 restrictions. It's no surprise that our emotions can run high. And when we lay out these three underlying causes of our disagreements, we can start to see why conservatives tend to be more skeptical of these mandates and liberals more supportive. So let's dive in. What are we arguing about when we argue about mandates? Have you heard of the trolley dilemma? It's a puzzle that scientists use to see how people react to ethical problems. In its most basic version, the train is headed down a track on which four people are standing. Fortunately, the train can be diverted onto a different track by pulling a lever. Unfortunately, there's one person standing on the other track, and that person will be killed if you pull the lever. So, the question, do you pull the lever, killing one innocent person to save another four innocent people? The argument for pulling the lever is that doing so minimizes the loss of life. This is an argument that focuses on the results of the choice. The argument for not pulling the lever is that, as a rule, it's wrong to actively do something that will kill an innocent person. In short, some people judge the ethics of a choice by the likely outcomes. Others focus on the rightness or wrongness inherent in the act itself, separate from the outcomes. The same probably holds true when it comes to mandates. Some of us conclude, especially in the case of vaccine mandates, that the likely outcomes with the restrictions are far better than without them. Other folks see these restrictions as a violation of rights, rights that are worth upholding regardless of the public health costs that result. Which is the right view? There's no clear answer, but this much we can say, sometimes when we're arguing about mandates, what we're really arguing about is moral philosophy. That's an argument worth having, but one that's not likely to be resolved simply by appealing to the framework that you already embrace. One more thing before we move on. It seems to me that, as a practical matter, we should want policies that truly work, 
that achieve some sort of goal of making things better, but we should also want policies that operate within certain moral limits. Policy making should probably have one foot firmly planted in each of these frameworks. At any rate, the first thing that we may be arguing about when we argue about mandates is moral philosophy. What else are we arguing about when we argue about mandates? The second thing that we're probably arguing about when we argue about mandates is how much risk we want to allow people to impose on others. This is a critical question because, when it comes to infectious diseases, our behaviors don't occur in isolation. For example, when someone fails to get vaccinated, they not only increase the chance that they will get infected, but they also increase the chance that they will transmit the virus to someone else. The same argument holds true for people who refuse to wear masks and socially distance. They not only place themselves at risk, but impose additional risk on others as well. Economists refer to these impositions as negative externalities. They occur when one person's behavior has a harmful effect on other people. Methods for dealing with negative externalities range from compensating people who are harmed after the fact to outright banning certain actions before any harm can occur. So, the first thing we might be arguing when we argue about mandates is moral philosophy, rights versus results. The second thing we might be arguing about when we argue about mandates is whether it's okay to limit the freedom of individuals when they engage in behaviors that impose a risk to others. What's the third thing we might be arguing about? The last thing that we might be arguing about when we argue about mandates is whether people should be prevented from making decisions that go against their own interest. It's easily arguable that, with rare exceptions, people who choose not to get vaccinated are making a poor decision. For example, in New York City, for the week ending on the 18th of December, about 3 per 100,000 people vaccinated were hospitalized. The rate among the unvaccinated, more than 30 times greater, 97 per 100,000. Similar arguments, albeit with more room for disagreement, can be made for people who refuse to wear masks or socially distance in certain settings. Mathematically, such folks are placing themselves at elevated risk for serious health problems to avoid minor inconveniences. This means that it's possible that when we argue about mandates, what we're really arguing about is whether we think it's okay to let people make bad decisions for themselves. The notion of limiting or preventing people from making bad decisions isn't novel. For example, modern cars won't start unless they are in park. This design requirement keeps us from starting the car and drive, and potentially having an accident. Banks design ATMs that require you to take your debit card back before giving you the cash you requested. This prevents you from leaving your card behind. It's not just design factors that prevent us from making bad choices. Society is full of guardrails, including literal guardrails, that prevent us from harming ourselves due to the bad choices we might make. At any rate, the bottom line here is that when we argue about mandates, we may really be arguing about whether people should be protected from making bad choices for themselves. So, there are three things that we might be arguing about when we argue about mandates. First, we might be arguing about moral philosophy. Should we look at the questions through the lenses of rights and duties? Or should we be more concerned with results? Second, when we argue about mandates, we might be arguing about how to deal with negative externalities, what to do when my actions impose a risk on other people. And finally, when we argue about mandates, we might be arguing about whether people should be protected from or prevented from making decisions that go against their own interests. I think there's a bit of a political angle here. Recent research suggests that social conservatives are more likely than liberals to use a rule-based approach when considering moral dilemmas than are liberals. That is, they tend to view some things as inherently right or wrong, regardless of the outcomes. I also believe that it's possible, and maybe even likely, that conservatives are more skeptical than are liberals when it comes to arguments about negative externalities 
especially when the imposed harms are statistical rather than concrete. Finally, I think it's also plausible to argue that liberals are more accepting of the idea of government protecting individuals from the results of their poor decisions than are conservatives. In other words, given the three nerve endings we've talked about, we shouldn't be surprised that, in general, conservatives will lean against COVID-19 restrictions and liberals will support them. When we argue about COVID-19 mandates, we're really arguing about one or more of three more fundamental issues. We're arguing about whether rights are more important than results, how much risk people can impose on others, and whether people should be prevented from making choices that don't serve their own interests. And because we're arguing about these more fundamental questions, we shouldn't necessarily be surprised to find that liberals tend to fall on one side and conservatives on the other. But why does any of this matter? Well, when it comes to COVID-19 mandates, it's clear that we are a country deeply divided. We may never agree about what to do, but if we are going to argue, we should at least try to better understand what we're really arguing about. Thanks for taking the time to listen. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. That really helps get the show noticed. Also, be sure to subscribe to I Wrote This Podcast wherever you download your podcasts. If you have a comment or a question about anything you've heard today, or if you have a suggestion for a future topic, please send us a note at I Wrote This Podcast, all one word, at thatradioshow.com. That email address one more time is I Wrote This Podcast, all one word, at thatradioshow.com. Oh, and one more thing, if this podcast sounds a little funny, that's because it's also an experiment. All of the audio for my voice was generated using AI technology. Hopefully the show will sound different and better as the tech improves and as I improve at using it. I'm Bob Neese, hoping you have an amazing day. We'll get together again soon.